Last week we talked about recalculation. If you were here, dealing with and handling life's detours. There's so many detours in life, those difficult reroutes that it seems like life will bring our way sometimes. If you have a if you have a navigation system in your car or, or maybe you've maybe you've trusted your phone at times to to navigate you through certain things, you know that sometimes there's that pretty little sweet female voice that'll come on sometimes and it'll say recalculating recalculating, which means either I've taken a wrong road somewhere, a wrong turn somewhere, or she's found a better way for me to go. Something is going on. We looked at Moses last week for a little bit, and he's a prime example of what happens uh, when God begins to recalculate in our lives. Whenever we think we know where life's going to take us, when we, when we think we know the path that God has for us, and then God just smiles a little bit and he says, I've got other plans for you. They're not your plans, they're my plans. In Moses' life, there were detours. There were detours, there were reroutes, there were delays. But God's destination and God's plan was always in mind from the very beginning. Before, before uh, Jochebed ever had him placed into the river in that basket, God already had a plan. There was a lot of reroutes and a lot of recalculation along the way, but God's plan never changed. In fact, that's exactly, that's actually the, the, the great way for us to describe our lives. It's exactly how we should look at our own lives today. The journey of life is filled it's filled with detours and, and, and distractions and reroutes and, and delays, but God's plan never changes. His plan is always and will always stand. The sooner we will embrace, the sooner we embrace the fact that life, life is not this straight shot that we go through from point A to point B with no detours and no delays and no stops, the sooner we can understand that life is not this straight shot, but that there are diversions along the way and there are reroutes and there are recalculations along the way. The sooner that we can get this and embrace this, the sooner we will get on our way to our destination or ultimately God's destiny for our lives. Proverbs 19.21, it says, There are many plans in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the Lord's counsel, that will stand. I love how the NIV says it. It says, many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. Someone said this one time, life is what happens while you're making other plans. You ever experienced that? We can make all the plans we want, but the Lord's purpose is what's going to prevail in our lives. We've got to learn to recalculate. We've got to learn how to move with the recalculations of life. We've got to learn how to embrace the recalculations. We've got to embrace the fact that God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are far above our thoughts, but he has our best interest in mind. God always does. Today I want us to look at one of the greatest recalculations that ever happened in history. It, 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 you, you can find the story throughout Exodus 12 where a group of people, this, this great large group of slaves, they were well over a million in number. Literally, God is rerouting them. He has chosen to put them on a path to, to pull them out of Egypt and to turn them into a mighty nation. This is God's plan, but the challenge for them is the same challenge that's for a lot of us today. And that is the distance between what God is going to do and when he does it. 
You ever find yourself in that place? I know God has plans. I know there's things he wants to do. I know there's a place he's taking us. But then there's this timing thing. There's this thing between here and there. It's the when. It's the, it's the, he's going to do this, but I'm, I'm living in this in-between place. There is the will of God, and then there is the timing of God. Something we all need to know, something we need to get deep down in our spirit today is that recalculations can mean sometimes extending the journey. Sometimes a recalculation is going to mean that the journey is going to last a little longer than we thought it would to begin with. We have a plan. We know what we want in life. We know the direction we're going. But God has the best plan. It may take us longer, but it is the best plan. In my notes, I have a better plan. But I, I honestly, I, if you go to the car wash, they give you some options. They got you a good wash, a better wash, and then there's the, the $15 job. The best wash. We can just skip the better because God's purpose, God's plan is always the best one. And when he recalculates, sometimes that means that the journey is going to be extended a little bit. Exodus 13, 17, it says, Then it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go that God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was nearer. Our navigation's Systems, usually they'll give us a few options. If you key in an address and you're going somewhere on a trip, usually, usually it'll give you three options actually. You'll see the little blue lines. There's usually three different ones and they're all highlighted on the map on your phone or on your GPS. And there's three different options. There's the quickest option, the one that's going to get you there the fastest. There's the shortest option, the shortest amount of miles to get from point A to point B. And then there's the scenic route. What I'm just going to tell you, I never take the scenic route. I'm going to tell you, I can smell the roses when I get to my destination. I'm not concerned with stopping along the way. I don't care about the blue bonnets on the side of the road. I don't care about any of that. I want to get where I'm going. So you can forget the scenic route. And I'm going to tell you something about the shortest route. The shortest route, uh, it may save you some gas mileage along the way. You don't have to travel. You're not going to put as many miles on your car going the shortest route. But I'm going to tell you something. It's going to take you downtown. It's going to take you through red lights. And by the way, God has chosen to put all of the village idiots on the shortest route. Because the people on the shortest route are the ones that cannot drive at all. And so I may save gas mileage going the quickest route, but I will save my temper and my patience if I'll just go the quickest route. The one that's going to get me there the fastest. (laughs) Notice in the scripture that God did not take them the shortest route. He didn't take them by the route of the Philistine armies. Verse 17 goes on to say, for God said, lest perhaps the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. God said, if I take them the short route, they're going to run into some challenges that they're not ready to face yet. For, For us, we're thinking destination. We're always thinking, let's get there. But God is thinking the journey. We're thinking, I want to get to where I'm going. I I don't want any grass to grow under me. But God's thinking, I want to develop you as you go along your way. And I want to prepare you for where you're going. While the Hebrew people are thinking, I'm getting out. 
and I'm going to a promised land as an ex-slave. God was saying, I'm going to turn you into a mighty nation. I'm going to turn you into a great army that is that is a force to be reckoned with. I want to put some discipline inside of you. I want to establish some customs and some laws and some traditions inside of you as a nation. I want to build you up. I'm not so I'm not as concerned about where you're going, but what is happening in you as you're going there. Everything in our life has been dictated by something. Just like with the children of Israel, everything in their life had already been dictated by Pharaoh and and their slave owners. And God was saying, I'm going to turn you into a people with your own mind. I'm going to make you a people with your own thought process and your own customs and laws. So God is saying to them, you need this trip. You need this journey. God knew his people and he loved them. He loves us so much. He loves us so much that it, that it matters not to him when we arrive, but rather who we are and what we are when we arrive there. He's not bound by space and time as we are. And this whole idea of God rerouting them and, and, and developing them along the way, that sounds really good and that sounds like a really great thing on the surface until we take into account the fact that the short route that God chose to not take them on by way of the Philistines, they say, they estimate that this trip from where they were to where they were going would have ultimately taken them about 40 days. About a month and a half had they gone the short route. But the path that God chose for them took 40 years. 40 days... 40 years. I don't know about you, but I think that's a little bit of a detour. <laughs> I, th- I, think they, I think they met a few orange signs along the way with some arrows. That's kind of going out of your way a little bit. That's just a little more of a recalculation than I would have had in mind. And what they did is exactly what I see so many of us doing today. Many people would rather alter the destination rather than endure the extended journey. Many will choose to just settle somewhere else rather than take that extended journey. I I, want to have that fulfilled and that happy marriage. I really want that love ever after marriage. I want to have all of that, but that seems like it's going to take a while. That seems like it's going to take some work and some effort, so I'll just settle to be right here instead. Sometimes I think when we find out, when we find out that the Hyatt Regency is 60 miles down the road, we'll settle to just stop at the Motel 6 tonight because I just want to get out of the car. I'm just ready to cancel the trip. It's not worth the effort to just keep going. We, we all have this tendency, uh, for instant gratification. It's honestly the world we live in now. We, 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 I think it all started with the microwave. The microwave is the devil. The microwave is the one who, who brought all this into our world. We want it and we want it now. I want it right now. How far can I get today? What, what, what can happen tonight? I want everything to change right now today. And God is thinking lifetime. And the life to come. But we say, I need it now. The need of now drives us to settle for an altered destiny rather than endure the extended journey to get to the place that God wants to take us. 
How many of us have settled at times and places in our lives for less than when God was saying, if you'll just trust the recalculation, if you'll just trust where I'm taking you, I have a place for you and I have a plan for you and I have a destiny, a destination for you. I believe he would say to all of us today, do not grow weary in well-traveling. Do not grow weary in well-traveling. Israel was focused on the destination. They wanted to get to a place of rest. They were focused on the destination while God was interested in and focused on the journey. While they wanted to get to a place of rest, God wanted them to learn to rest in Him. While they were wanted, they wanted to live in peace, God wanted them to find peace in Him. They wanted to eat their own crops, but God wanted them to depend on Him for their provision. He was trying to develop them. He was trying to prepare them to get them ready for what He had for them. So my question for all of us today is, are we willing, are we willing to trust the recalculated journey when we know it will take us longer to get there than what we planned and what we wanted? Is our focus on the destination? Are we just about getting there? Are we just about, I, I, I love to sing songs about the sweet by and by. I love to sing songs about going up yonder in the promised land of, of heaven. I love that. But I want to tell you something. We're still here breathing on this planet today. And there's a purpose and there's a reason for that. So we need to trust the recalculations today. I'm looking forward to that day. But guess what? I'm not there yet. And so God's got things he wants to do in and through me and through you today. Have you ever noticed how sometimes it seems longer to get somewhere than it does when, to get home from somewhere? If you're going on a vacation, if you're going on a trip a few weeks ago and Kayla and I drove to Asheville, North Carolina, the, the, the trip back always seems faster because there's not that anticipation. You're always looking. It's actually the same amount of time. But on the other side of the journey coming back, we're, we're not anticipating anything anymore. We're not waiting for anything anymore. We're not looking for anything. On, on, the, on the way back, we're saying, oh, I've already been here. I've already seen that. It's just the way we are. We're so ready to get there. We want it now. We've got to have it now. And we'll settle many times now. We'll drop out of the job now. We'll give up on the struggling marriage now. We'll move away now. We'll do whatever we have to now instead of trusting the journey. It's not about the destination. It's about the journey. And for the believer, recalculations just simply means trusting the GPS. You've seen the, you've seen the, the t-shirts before, GPS, God's positioning system. You've seen that. You've heard it before. That's the real GPS. That's the, that's the one you can trust. This GPS, is all. it always knows. It always has you covered. He sees what we cannot see. We have to trust the GPS. When you're not a believer, the highest authority is you or whoever you've turned the old Rand McNally Atlas over to. That's where the authority is. But as a believer, we have faith. And we know that he is ordering every one of our steps. And that he knows the way that we are to take. And that his guidance is leading us. But that GPS doesn't work if we don't trust him. And trusting God's wisdom means, number one, that we're listening to his voice. I, I preach this all the time. You've heard me say it a million times. And I believe it's true that God is always 
speaking. He speaks to us. He's, he, he's given us the greatest atlas. He's given us the greatest roadmap that will begin to speak to and develop every single part of our lives, and it's in his word. He puts us in a body of believers, and if you would choose to just connect to the body and, and, and draw closer to one another, you'll find that iron sharpens iron, and, 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 and he begins to develop us and build us and strengthen us. So we have to listen to his voice. And secondly, we have to follow his will. The word encourages us, don't, don't lean on your own understanding, but in all of your ways, acknowledge him. He'll direct your path. Trust God. And then the third part to trusting God's wisdom is being willing. Being, being, a, being an empty vessel and willing to allow the reroutes and the recalculations to happen even when his will doesn't coincide with our plan. Here's what I know about every one of us in this room today. Because I know it about me. It's a human thing. And if you've lived for any amount of time, here's what I know, that life has not gone exactly the way that you have planned it to go. Is there anybody in the room with me that would raise your hand and be honest and say, you know what, life didn't go the way I thought it was going to go, the way I planned for it to go. God put a turn where I would have gone straight. God put a dead end and told me to make a U-turn where I was going to go right or left. God in his wisdom has done things that I would have never done. He did things that I would have never in my mind done. We get, we get excited knowing that God has a plan for our lives. We preach it. We, we proclaim it. We testify it. God's got a plan. God's going to do his will. He's going to do a great work in your life. We get excited over that until we find out that his plan is not our plan. It's real exciting to hear that on a Sunday morning. It's real exciting when a prophet walks up to you and says, I know the plans that God has for you and this is what they are. Thus saith the Lord. We get real excited about that until we realize that guess what? The journey that it takes to get to that place, that destination is not the way I planned it. There's a verse that is often misread and even misapplied sometimes. It's one of those verses. It looks really great on a coffee mug. You know, when you're getting your little morning joe in the morning, it just strengthens you and encourages you when the east sun is shining in your window and all that. It, it, it's a great little cute verse to embroid, have embroidered on the newborn baby's blanket because it just says it all and it's just so cute. It's a great verse to have as a magnet on your refrigerator so that every time you go to get bluebell, you can be reminded. And it's that, it's that verse, Jeremiah 29, 11, that every one of us could quote together many times. We have pulled it out of context, and we've made it this bumper sticker uh, scripture, if you will. It's where God says, for I know the thoughts. Another version says, I know the plans that I think towards you, says the Lord. They are plans of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. I love this verse. We quote it all the time. It is truth. It is God's word. This is a promise from God, and you can take it to the bank. We put it on our fridge. We stick it on our mirror to remind us every day that God has a plan for our life. God's got a plan, and that plan is to prosper me, and it's to give me a good future that's full of peace and full of hope. We love it. It's truth. But what we did was, Many times we've been guilty of just kind of helicoptering in and we reached down and we plucked that one little verse out and we read that verse, but we, did, we didn't focus on the verses around it. 
We didn't focus on, we didn't focus on the context or, or, or what was going on or what all was being said, the full story. We didn't look at the verses leading up to it, and we didn't look at the verses leading by, coming behind it. And once again, in this context, the children of Israel, they're once again in captivity. Now they are prisoners of Babylon, and Nebuchadnezzar is ruling over them, and they're praying for deliverance again. Now they're back in this place of praying, God, get us out of here. We don't like this place. We don't like where we are. We want to go home. And they wanted to go home so bad that they looked around, and they, and they found this one guy, and they said to him, because they, they said, you look like a prophet. Well, well, give us a prophetic word. And, 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 when are we going home? When are we going home? And, and this guy was not a prophet at all. He was more like a non-prophet. <laughs> prophet. With a non-prophet organization to follow. He said, when, when are we going home? Since he wasn't a prophet at all, he said, two years. Two years. You're, you're, you're all going home in two years. And you know, that's a little bit of a detour. That's a little bit of an inconvenience. But you know what? They, they could live with that. I, I could see the end of the tunnel with two years. I can fight a bear for a little while. It's it, it just, just a little bit of a delay. They could process this whole two-year thing a little better. But then comes along Jeremiah. Now, Jeremiah was a real prophet. He was a far-prophet prophet. Not a non-prophet prophet. He was far-prophet. And he says, no. Not two years. It's going to be 70 years. You're going to be in captivity for 70 years. 70 years. Now, I'm just going to tell you, that's, that's a little bit of a detour. That's a bigger detour than 40 years. 70 years? What happened to the two-year thing? What happened to that two-year plan? I like that plan a lot more. 70 years? Yeah, actually, God wants you to know that you're even, you're here because because of your decisions. The very fact that you're even in this place of captivity is because of some of the choices that you made because you weren't listening to the GPS and you made choices. You turned your back on God. You chose other gods. You worshiped other idols. Actually, you are where you are because of the decisions that you made. There's no sense fussing at the GPS at that point. The fact is, I just wasn't listening to her. I wasn't listening to that sweet, soothing voice that was coming over the, coming over my phone. I, I wasn't listening. I did what I wanted to do at that point. And that's why she kept kindly saying, as soon as possible, <laughs> as soon as you can, make a legal U-turn. <laughs> but I just wasn't listening. I wasn't listening to what she was saying. And God said to them, I love you people. And the reason you're in Babylon is because of your own stubbornness. You wanted to navigate your own life. And then he said, that, he said, I love you so much. And I want you to know that I have great plans for you. I have great plans and they are, they are good plans. Not for a disaster. They are good to give you a future and a hope. In other words, I love you so much. And my plan is so grand that you're going to have to stay right where you are for the next 70 years. That's how much I love you. Because I want to see this thing fulfilled in your life. So I'm rerouting. I'm recalculating. So that you can understand. Now. Now we may not like that fridge magnet so much. <laughs> we, we may take a second glance. When we look at that coffee mug now. And we see. I know the plans I have for you. He may be recalculating us. He, he, he may be rerouting us right now. And guess what? That doesn't feel too good. Because he's not interested as much in the destination. That's us. He's interested in the journey. A 70-year detour. 
Here's my last point. I want to take a few minutes with this if I can. Recalculation means letting go. It means trusting the GPS, letting God be God and trusting him. Who would have ever thought that the people who came out of slavery in Egypt, the people who had been for over 400 years beaten, made to make bricks and then stack those bricks to build the monuments that the Egyptians wanted for, to themselves. All that they went through for over 400 years of slavery. But when they began this GPS journey with God to their promised destination, because it took longer than they anticipated, they literally wished that they had never even started the trip. That's what happened. They were slaves. They had no control of their future, their own destiny. But because of delayed gratification and not arriving at their destination in the timing that they desired, it caused them and it causes all of us at times to forget how far we've actually come. How God has provided and brought for us and through us and to us everything that we needed. The Israelites were so bewildered by this reroute that they began to wish that they had never even left. They began to say things like this in Numbers eleven five. It says this, we remember, this is hilarious, we remember the fish which we ate freely in Egypt. We remember all the free fish we had when we were in Egypt. Free? You weren't free. You were a slave. You were fed like dogs. You, you, you ate what the, what the Egyptians told you could, you could eat when they told you you could eat it. They even decided whatever part of the fish you would eat. I promise you, you weren't getting the best part. You ate for free? And verse 5 goes on to say the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. Isn't it amazing when you're in the middle of a recalculation, when you're in the middle of a reroute, isn't it amazing how, how glorious the past can look? Isn't that amazing? We could have all we wanted. It was all free. You're hauling bricks on your back. You're being beaten daily. They are killing your male children. But the food was free. <laughs> Verse 6 says, but now our whole being is dried up. This is so, I'm sorry I find this comical. Now our appetite is all dried up. Now, there, is, there is nothing at all except this manna before our eyes. Think about this, manna. Supernatural, miraculous provision from God daily. God miraculously, miraculously dropping provision out of the sky every day to feed us. God is providing for me every single day. All I see all around me is God's provision every morning when I wake up. But I don't like this trip. I don't like this journey. I just want to get, I either want to get there or I want to go back. Literally food is falling from heaven, but I miss the fish and the free food I had when I was in slavery. You ever notice people that just will do everything they can to get back in jail? You know anybody like that? You got any family members like that? It's like they can't stay out one day. Like they have every opportunity. They've got every door open for them. They got all the kinds of family support, but they'll do everything they can to get back because they may be out, but it's not out of them. That's a whole other sermon. 
that I miss the fish. I miss the free food. Every day there's a miracle. Every day he's giving them their daily bread. Every day he's providing for them. His GPS system is guiding them. And you miss the free food you had as a slave. We cannot revert back to our past way of thinking. We cannot revert back to our past perspectives. We cannot revert back to our past life because we just because we don't understand the path that God is taking us on. Yes, it would, it's always easier to go back to where we were. It's always easier to go back to what I know, what I can put my hands on, what I can define. But we'll never get to our promise. We'll never get to our destiny if we simply lean on what we know. But some of us prefer the predictability of misery over the unpredictable future of an adventure with God. They literally said, I'd rather be back in slavery than trust the GPS. I'm wanting to encourage all of us today to not go back to a lifestyle, not go back to a mindset that we know simply because we don't understand the direction that God is taking us. Let go. Let go. I wish I could just go a little Disney this morning and just sing a little bit. Let it go. Let it go. Don't hold it back. No, Cece said, don't do that. There's a story in the New Testament where a guy comes to Jesus. This guy had a question for Jesus, and he he was very sincere in his question, but but it was shallow. In fact, uh, anybody got a dollar bill? A dollar? A one dollar bill? Anybody? Who's got one close by? A dollar. One dollar. Anybody? Archie, you got a dollar? Bring me a dollar, Bo. I, Archie's got me right here. Come on, Bo. Oh, oh, oh. Lisa, you got a dollar too. Well, everybody's got a dollar. Thank you. And y'all are some very generous people. Thank you very much, Archie. In fact, just want you to sit right there by Daddy so I can keep my eye on you and you can keep your eye on me because I got your dollar. It's a great story in Mark 10, verse 17. This guy, he came to Jesus. Now, it, it says this in verse 17. Now, as he was going out, on the road, one came running, knelt before him, and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? You've heard the story. No, notice the man's posture here. He fell into a posture of worship. And, and he called Jesus good teacher. This man had a revelation of who Jesus was. He, he understood who he was talking to. He got it. He, he, he knew it. He, he had the revelation. And now he's in a posture of submission and worship to Jesus. He understands that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He gets it. Now, now, now he's saying, how do I get this eternal life thing? How, how does this thing play out? And Jesus responds in verse 18. He says, why do you call me good? Now, now keep in mind, any time that God asks a question in Scripture, it's not because he needs the answer. Remember that. Dad talked to us this past Wednesday night about the first three questions in, in Scripture. Out of the 3,300 scriptures, there, questions there are in Scripture, one of those three questions was a question that God answered, asked, and he made the point Wednesday night that when God asks a question, it's not because he needs the answer. He is, he is teaching something. When, when, when Jesus asked this question, why do you call me good, it, 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 it was for everyone else to recognize that this guy, this guy knows who I am. This guy knows why I'm good. Jesus said, no one is good except God alone. In other words, this man has already figured it out. This man knows that I am God with skin on. He's figured out that I am the son of God. He's got the revelation. So this man's got the revelation, and now Jesus starts to give him the directions. He he starts to tell him what he's got to do. In verse 19, he says, you know the commandments. 
do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear a false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and your mother. The guy listens and he hears the GPS for eternal life. And in verse 20, he says this. It's like he's saying, okay, I think I got this thing. We're almost there. I'm almost at the destination. I can see the end in sight. So he's thinking we're almost there. What are the most, what is the most dreaded phrase? Let me ask all the parents in the room that's ever been on a long trip with your children. What's the most dreaded phrase to hear from your children? The question, are, thank you very much. And he's responding, we're almost there yet. (laughs) That's what the guy's saying. He says, we're almost there. And Jesus responds in verse 21. And then he said, then Jesus looking at him loved him. I love that. We can't miss this. He loved him. Jesus looked at him. He knew who he was. And he loved him. He loved him so much. He loved him so much that he was willing to recalculate this man's life. And let the GPS take him where he needed to go. He loved him so much. God loves us so much. He loves us too much to let us settle for less than what is best for us. He loves us too much than to leave us in the status quo, than to just leave us just, just, just struggling through life and just, just, just doing this survival thing. So Jesus looked at him and loved him and said in verse 21, one thing you lack. Go your way, sell whatever you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross, and follow me. Now, I'm sure all of us in this room understand this, but I'll clarify in case there's someone who doesn't. This is not a commandment for every person who is going to follow Christ. Okay? I hope we understand that. No one has to take a vow of poverty to be a Christ follower. We don't find anywhere else in Scripture, we don't find anywhere else where they're saying, men and brethren, what must we do to be saved? That they're instructing them to sell all their stuff and give it away to the poor. It wasn't an additional step to salvation. That's not what this was. But Jesus knew that this man, the Bible says, search out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For this man, his life, that he identified himself with his stuff. In his life, that's what he did. He was identified. He got, he got his value. He got his purpose from his stuff. And he was so caught up in the materialism of, of the things that he had and the things that he had that he found value in these things. God doesn't mind us having good things. God just doesn't want good things having us. And so that's what the man's issue was. And so that's what Jesus was speaking to. So Jesus was addressing his personal issue because he was following his own personal navigation. He figured he, had, he thought he had it all figured out. I'm almost there. I've done all these commandments. I've, done, I've met the checklist. And Jesus knew his identity was tied up in his possessions. So Jesus immediately recalculates. As soon as this guy thought, he, I got this thing figured out. I got it covered. I'm almost there. Jesus recalculates. And Jesus told this man, told him, now you go sell everything you got. Give it to the poor and come follow me. And when he heard what the GPS said, He said, but in verse 22, but he was sad at this word and went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Or we might say great possessions had him. He literally hit end route. Cancel route. Forget it. Trips off. And he walked away sad because he couldn't embrace the the recalculation. And that's what so many people do. They want to change until they realize the expense of that change. They they want what God wants for them until they find out what God wants from them. They want his hope and they want his grace and we all want his peace and his provision. 
but we, we still want to navigate. We still want to hold on to the wheel. I think Carrie Underwood said it best. Jesus, take the wheel. You all seen the cartoon where the wheel falls off the car? And the caption says, wrong wheel, Jesus. <laughs> anyway, I'm sorry. I, I digress. In other words, I, I want it all. And I want you, Lord, but I want it on my terms. I want it on my route. God loves us too much to leave us the way we are, where we are. And I'm closing with this. And so this man aborted the trip. He hit end trip. He left. But here's the deal. He actually left way too early. Because see, the conversation hadn't ended yet. The discussion wasn't over yet. He, he walked away. He didn't hear the rest of the conversation. Jesus wanted him to hear the whole story, but he walked away. In that exact same setting, they continued to talk. And as they continued in verse 24, it says, And the disciples were astonished at his words. Because, see, they had never heard Jesus talk like this before. They had never heard Jesus tell anybody like anything like this before. They never heard him talking about this whole selling everything and giving it away stuff before. This was new to them. They were all dumbfounded. This was a new one. But Jesus answered again and said to them, children, how hard is it for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. He's not talking about a literal sewing needle and a camel. He's not trying to give this extreme, extravagant uh, illustration here. In those days, there would have been these massive, massive gates and these, these massive walls that would, that would fortify cities. You think about Jericho, how, how the walls were so thick that you could, you could literally ride horses and chariots on the top of it. And there were these massive walls to protect them. And there were these humongous, massive gates that they would have to open to allow caravans in and mighty armies and troops to come through. But every time you opened those massive gates, you were opening yourself up to the enemy. You were all of a sudden susceptible to, a, to an attack or an intruder in some way coming in. So within the gate, within this massive, huge gate, there was this smaller gate. It was like a little small gate for single passengers passengers and small groups. And they called it the eye of the needle. That's what they would call this little, this little small gate. And so, so whenever you came up, if me and my family walked up and said, Bates, party of four, they wouldn't open the big, huge, massive gates and, and, and open themselves up to and be, and be vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy. They would just simply open the little eye of the needle for me and my family. So we could pass through and Jesus said it would be easier for a camel to get through the eye of the needle. The camel is the one that's carrying all of my luggage and all of my baggage and all of my stuff. And You've got to get that camel to get down and bend and work to actually get through the eye of the needle. You'd have to dismount and unload all the stuff and all the baggage off of the camel to finally get him through the eye of the needle. Then you'd have to go back and gather up all your stuff and piece by piece get it through the eye of the needle and then roll on your way. So Jesus wasn't saying it was impossible, but he was saying, you know what, it's going to take a little bit of work when you've got to get a camel through the, through the eye of the needle. And in verse 26... It says they were greatly astonished. They were even more astonished, saying to themselves, who then can be saved? None of us are going to make it now. 
And then Jesus looked at them. And here's a verse we often quote, but many times I think we don't realize that it's in this same passage. It's in this same conversation where the guy has already walked off and he didn't, he didn't stay for the full story. In verse 27 it says, but Jesus looked at them and said, with men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. Verse 28, then Peter began to say to him, see, we've left all. We left everything and followed you. Really? Seriously, you, you left a bankrupt fishing business? Your business was so, so terrible that when you did finally catch fish, your net started breaking. Verse 29, so Jesus answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospel. See what he's doing here? Look at what Jesus is doing. He's giving this most extreme sacrifice. Stuff that we would never even think of doing, and he's driving it home. There's, he's saying there's nothing you can give up. Not even the things that are most valuable, even those things that you would die for. It, it, nothing you can give up. You cannot give me, he's saying. Who shall not receive a hundredfold now, I love this, in this time, in this present age. Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. Watch what Jesus said here. The guy asked, what must I do? Jesus told him, sell everything and give it away. And the guy just hit the road. He hit end trip. And he walked away and he gave up. He left too soon because Jesus wasn't done with the conversation yet. If he would have just heard the rest of the conversation, because the rest of Jesus' lesson that day was this. Whatever you give up, anything you give up, whatever you put second to me, Whatever that is, children. I mean, he's using the most extreme thing. I'm not going to give up my children. But if I put my children before him, are my plans for them greater than his plans for them? Whatever you give up, he says you're going to get it back. And not just in the sweet by and by, but in this present age. In this day, you will. In this life, you will get back 100 times more then you gave up. In other words, what Jesus was saying to that man was this. Possessions have you. You're, you're possessed by your possessions. So go sell it. Give it away. Give it all to the poor. Jesus knew, if you'll let me navigate, if you'll let me order your steps, what's going to happen is, is on the other side of your conversion, I'm going to bless you with a blessing that is 100 times more than whatever it was you gave up. So you're going to give it up. But you're going to get it back 100 times over. In fact, Archie, I got something for you. Thanks for the George Washington. Here's a Benjamin for you. In fact, you know what God would say? God would say, you know what? I didn't even want your dollar to begin with. I just wanted your heart. I just wanted you to trust me. I didn't need your stuff. That's not what it was ever about. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. All he's saying to us today is, trust me. Trust me. Would you stand with me across this room today? Lord, I'm so thankful 
so thankful, God, that you are the one who orders our steps. Lord, there are seasons, there are times, there are moments in this journey, God, that we just don't understand. Our finite minds can't comprehend it. It gets overwhelming to us. There's times, God, when you have allowed and caused a recalculation, a reroute, a detour in our lives because you wanted to do something greater in us. Because you do have a great destiny and a great plan for our lives. You have a place that you're taking us, God, but help us to realize today, God, that you're more interested in us than you are the destination. Help us, God, to embrace the journey. Help us, God, to understand and, and, and embrace, God, what you're doing in our life today in the moments where we have more questions than we have answers. In those moments, God, where we don't know how tomorrow is going to play out or even how this day is going to end, God, help us, God, in those moments to trust you, to give all to you, to put all of our chips in the middle of the table, to say it's all on you, God. It's all on you. You are our GPS. You are the one that we're that we're following. You lead us. You guide us every step of our lives. God, we thank you for who you are. You're so faithful in our lives, God, every day. You're so faithful to us, God. You've never failed us. You've never abandoned us. You've never let us go. And we are thankful today. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Could we sing together one time before we leave today? Let's just share in time of song and worship today. Let's just let's just worship the Lord for a moment before we go home. We love you, Lord. Walking around these walls, I thought by now they'd fall. But you have never failed me yet. For change to come, knowing the battles won, God, you have never failed me yet. Your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness. Your faithfulness. I'm still.
I trust him a little bit more now than I did 45 minutes ago. I think that I want to surrender my life and all that I have to him more than I ever have before. I think the Lord has spoken to us today and I think that we can take the word that has been so beautifully presented and given and take it with us. And we will see many dreams come true and prayers answered and lives changed. Amen and amen. Brother Jed, come and pray a prayer over us before we go home. And Archie, I want you to know next time I'm going to be a little bit faster than you. Never know what's going to happen when you just surrender. Turn it over to the Lord. Love these folks. I'm glad they were with us. I'm glad that all of you were here today. God bless you. Mighty God of heaven, we're so thankful, Lord, to have the privilege to stand beside our good friend, our loved ones, and to be in this gathering where the body of Christ has come together, Lord Jesus, to feast upon your word. And now we're about to depart this house. And as we depart, life's going to happen. And we just ask you to be with us guide our footsteps and help us Lord Jesus to take this word and apply it to today and tomorrow and next week that our lives perhaps would be more appealing to your divine will draw us close to you keep us ever in your tender loving care we give you praise in Jesus name Amen.